Welcome to another episode of Appalachian Shine, the official podcast for the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. I'm your usual host, J.C. Swingruber, and today we have a great guest on the line here with us, and we're going to be talking about a really interesting story and a book. We have Kathy Conley from Knott County. How are you doing, Kathy? I'm doing well. How about you? I, I'm doing great. I'm expecting a little rain here today. Today's July 1st, so we're going into the July 4th weekend. Um Rain here too, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, well. Hopefully, we'll have a better weekend <laughs> than, than than rain. But uh, Kathy, yeah. you, um, yeah. I, I really appreciate you reaching out and touching base with us about your book. And when I was I was looking at the the uh, the uh, link online on Amazon, I realized how old this story was that went back that you wrote about. And this is, I guess, a children's book uh, for young adults. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're in Knott County, Kentucky. Yep, I'm in Knott County. I was born and raised right here in Knott County. And I went to school at Knott County Central High School, which is where I teach now. Left for just a brief period of time to get a teaching degree and knew I had to come back to here um, and help my people. And and help. And my, my favorite thing is helping people succeed and and become stronger at anything they want to become and I felt like reading and writing was my way to do that. My favorite subject is history, believe it or not. So this kind of melds with all the idea of um Appalachian culture and where I'm from and where you know where our roots are. And I uh, I just the story is very old. Um my grandmother Started well. I I grew up right next to her pretty much my whole life. She was my best friend, and she lived to be almost 101. Wow. Yes, and I was um, with her. I would say every day of my life, uh, other than when I was away at college or on little mini vacations or whatever. I I spoke to her every day. Um, until right up to the very end of her life. Um, but all through this talking to me and teaching me, she'd tell little stories about, well, when I was little, this is what happened. And unbeknownst to me, I just I thought they were fun and awesome, and I wanted to know all of Granny's secrets. And as I've gotten older and become a teacher and become an Appalachian literature teacher, I realized, man, those are the most valuable things that anybody could have given me. Oh, absolutely. And so I, I pull these little stories out, uh, experiences and things that she told. And, and I, I, as I was doing that, I thought, this is also some amazing culture that's dying. It's dying. Like there's one part in the book. Uh, I've got two books now, but there's one part in the one of the books that says, you know, they had to go out and sweep the yard. You know, that doesn't, that's not where we, where we are now in Appalachia. No. But just 40, 50 years ago, they were. You know, so and it's, it, it really strikes me as like how, even from, you know, folks that are closer to our age, how much things have changed in Appalachia from the time we were kids. Yes. And it's, uh, and you can only imagine I mean, literally a hundred years ago, people were just starting to drive cars and crank them up, you know, and, uh, and here and like in Appalachia, unfortunately, you know, economically we are left behind most of the country 
And a lot of those things didn't filter into the mass population until later on. Now, was your grandmother, was she one of the inspirations that made you get into teaching? Um, yes, and uh, it, it's kind of ironic because if you know anything about Appalachian culture, and obviously we do, she only got to go until about the third grade. Uh, she went up a, a long enough until she could do the basics, and she was the third oldest out of 16 children. So once school would start, another baby would come along, and she would need, be needed at home. So her reading skills were not super, okay? But, oh my goodness, she could teach people hands-on how to do things. And, and it's funny because people in my classes will say to me, how do you teach English so hands-on? And I, I think all the time that maybe my grandma taught me how to do things hands-on without words, you know, without reading. And so I sort of flip the script, I guess, with my teaching, and I get the opportunity to, to try to show them how to learn reading and reading skills hands-on. It's kind of wild. But she certainly inspired me to be a storyteller because she was a perfect uh, example of, of just what a storyteller was. And, you know, like, like you said, um, all these stories have been forgotten. And storytelling is such a rich tradition in Appalachia. And I love when I get an opportunity to run into storytellers or have them on the podcast or just, or just meet them out. Because um, so much of our history is lost in that regard. And um, the fact that your grandmother was kind of like a master storyteller in your life. And this led to later on, I, I want to bring up your, your book that you wrote, uh, Little Evie in the Garden, being a, you know, a history buff also, loving history. Um, tell us a little bit about the book and, uh, the, you know, let's get into a little bit of the story behind it because the story goes a long way back. It does. And I have actually the book with me. So I know you're, we've got, uh, you may, you may have your own copy. I don't know, but, um, I'll, I first want to start with the title because my grandma's name was not Evie. It was Eva, but not in Eastern Kentucky. You never end in letter A flex a name with the sound of a letter A. It's always IE sound. And she had sisters, you know, Verna and all, the, and they were always Verney. So I decided when I would put this together, um, or as it came to me, I didn't put it together. It just sort of came into me. I said, I can't call her Eva because nobody ever did. Nobody called her Eva. Only to, at the doctor or professional places. And so it came out as little Evie in the garden. And the story basically, uh, it, it's definitely fictional, but it's based on what I was told about her experiences as a, as a little girl. In the story, I imagined her as being five years old. So with her being five years old, what would it be like for a five-year-old at the time, which would have been, uh, she was born in 1916. Okay. So she would have just been, you know, just over the, the cusp of another uh, decade there. Um and what was it like? Like you said, no cars and no electricity and none of that. 
So she told me all about, you know, how she would have to get up way, way before the sun came up. And that roosters, which actually a rooster is the very first thing in the book, uh, that was their alarm clock, the rooster. And her uh, her dad would get up, and he'd already be out working in the garden and call them call them very late if they weren't there by 5.30 and, or 6 a.m. Um, and so the story basically just tells about how she um, got up, did her daily things in the kitchen to help her mom, even though she was a little girl herself. Um, the interactions between her and her sisters and her brothers. And it, it just goes along to, to show their day in the garden, then after the garden, what, what she did. Um, it felt like playing to her, but it was really still work. It was really still work. And uh, one of my favorite parts in here says that uh, her one of her best friends was old Mr. Sunset because it meant you know, they they could call it a day. <laughs> Go home, uh, relax for a change. Uh, yeah, if, yeah. if you know if you could call that relaxing. Yeah. But to her, I, I tried to. Well, I didn't. To be honest, I didn't try to write this book. It literally came to me. I just woke up one day and I said, I gotta tell my granny's story about the garden. And I just started with it and I honestly had zero sketch out plans of anything that I wanted to say. And then when I was finished, I closed the laptop and I had no idea what I had written. <laughs> I just said, Okay, I'll not look at that again someday and Within a couple months, I did, and I let my aunt read it, which is her oldest daughter, and she said, I would like to just have a copy of this. So I, I decided I would make a secret copy uh, and, and bind it myself, you know, for like a little present, and then her her sister got wind of it. Let's read it, and she's got this book, and so it got a little more and a little more, and to be honest, I have a former student who did self-publishing. And he did a book of poems, and Justin Perkins is his name. He's excellent. He did a book of poems, and he said, Miss Colley, you just need to publish that. And I said, I'm not. That's not me. I'm a teacher. I'm not, I'm not that. And he's like, please do it. We want you to. So I just, I did it. I made, uh, I ordered uh, on Amazon. I just went on, and I ordered 20 copies. And I thought, I'll give 10 for gifts, and I might be able to, like, sell 10 to make my money back from, you know, from that. And it kind of escalated into more and more people wanted to, to know about Lil Evie and that's, delighted me more than anything. That's such a great story. And to be able to hold on to some of the things your grandmother told you about that era, because like you said, it was the dawn of a new decade. We're talking about the early twenties yep. and, yep. you know, we're right after world war one and, yep. you know, the hardships of coming back and building a country, you know, before the Great Depression, and it was a roaring 20s everywhere else. But right. I'd wager a guess in Knott County and mm -hmm. most of Central Appalachia, it wasn't roaring very much. No, it wasn't. And, and you know, my grandmother, oh, extend, this is going to extend on hopefully to more stories as I, as I live through life. Um, but she was a teenager during the Great Depression. Yeah. 
the thing is, Eastern Kentucky didn't really know it was a depression because it was just life like normal. Exactly. You know, um, growing up here in Southwest Virginia, um, you know, my grandmother, she lived to be in her early 90s. And, oh, that's and she, man, could she spin a yarn. You didn't know what to believe and what not to believe. Yes. But she would talk a lot about her childhood. But when I would ask specific questions about the Great Depression to learn about that era, that time, mm -hmm. she really didn't have a lot of stories to tell. And I always wondered why, because she's so talkative about everything else. Why not that? And then I realized, you know, later on in life, it's like they didn't know they were in a depression. Exactly. Exactly. They didn't know. And I think that is a beautiful, just a beautiful thing to not know. Because you're blissfully happy. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're just, you, you just love life, and that's the thing that I want people to get out of this book. And and they have, is they say, man, your grandma just loved being alive. She just loved doing all that, and all the way, all the way till her very last breath, she was loving her situation. Now and I want. She, she was being alive. Now I wanted to ask you. Um, I think part of the reason why, I mean, things have been hard in Appalachia, and it always sort of has been a little, you know, I mean, modern times, we all fairly have it easy. We're all blessed and lucky. But, um, you know, in, in other times, things have been hard. You went to, you said you got your degree outside of, you left Knott County. Where, where did you go for college to get your degree? Um, I finished my degree at Moorhead State. Okay. Um. I started at Alice Lloyd, and I, I changed my major and just decided, you know, when you're very, very young and you start college, sometimes you don't know what you don't know, and I didn't know what I didn't know, that I needed to know, and I, I transferred from Alice Lloyd to Hazard Community because I, actually, to be honest with you, my grandma was a little bit of an influence in that. She was needing me um, a little bit more to drive her places and do different things and I just couldn't do that living on campus uh, so I came back home and uh, commuted to Hazard Community and then I saw that I wanted to be a teacher and I really wanted I really wanted to go to Moorhead State and I just went there and finished uh, but I came home like three times a week uh, just so I could help her and yeah. Now, now, one of the reasons I asked about where you went to college was because I, I think one of the things that gives us such strength here in, in Central Appalachia, you know, you know, especially Central Appalachia, is the strength of the family unit. Because yeah, I, I actually lived outside of the of the region for a number of years um, when I uh, lived in you know uh, Cincinnati, and you're in that yeah. you know you're in the city setting, and you know you, you know. So many people, and I know people who are close to their families outside of Appalachia, but it's it's a different kind of thing. And people would always comment, like, you know how you know how I would go often to visit my family. My family would come to visit me. They would call a lot. Their siblings, their cousins, like, I, and I would ask, when was the last time you talked to your brother or sister? Well, it's been six months. Exactly. Well, who in the world goes six months without talking to their <laughs> their brother or sister? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, that's that's not very close knit. But you know, we're maybe it's part of being such a close, families are close-knit. We, we grew up knowing our cousins like our brothers and sisters. A lot of, not, not everybody is as fortunate, but I understand yeah, that. But, but um, yeah, it's part of the culture. Now, you said that you were um, into a lot of Appalachian literature and you, you read a lot of Appalachian literature. 
what is that a common theme that you find throughout a lot of the literature from specifically about this region? I do, I do, and and especially uh, the cool thing about it, I'm glad you brought it up, is the whole idea about family closeness and family ties. It spans from the earliest I've ever read of Appalachian literature to the most modern. Um, it, family and the and the closeness that family brings. The um, I call it the little clans because we are like a little clan. People have their own little, you know ways of doing things and all that and I see that so much in the in the short stories and the novels um, it's it's kind of it literally is almost like the thread that runs so true with all of us as our, as our family unit family ties did you think maybe that has anything to do with the I guess a long history of like settlers here being scotch scotch Irish um, yeah because it's it's so yeah, I read I read a lot of uh, like you know medieval and uh-huh. history, and it, and it seems like a lot of the kind of the same family feel even in some of those you know the movies like that. Yeah, like absolutely, and uh, we I mean we can't escape ourselves, and we I don't want to I don't want to escape myself. I, I love being from Eastern Kentucky, and I love being from the head of a holler. I actually live in my grandma's house. The one I'm talking, you know, that the stories are about. Um, when she passed away, she and my grandpa, um, you know, just gave that to me, and uh, and I live in it, and it's just so precious. It's it's precious. Just um, yards from where the house sits, my mother was born. That is and, amazing. Yeah, and and like, who gets that opportunity? Like, only just a very few. Uh, groups of persons in the world get that opportunity, you know, that, and I, and I think also the Native American influence here is just so strong with that idea of, you know, I'm on the same land that my grandfathers and grandfathers and grandfathers and grandfathers were. It's just, it's incredible. And that's why I think when these words came out of me and I put them onto the screen or page or whatever you want to say, I, I, I just felt like it was just something pulling out of me, like from generations back, just coming out. I think that's and one I, thing that uh, escapes a lot of us is the fact of the history of right where we're standing. Yeah. You know, yeah. there there was a, a really good book, uh, and you may have read this. It's called The United States of Appalachia. I have not, but I've read it, just an excerpt from it. I had to use it for a, a resource. <clears throat> and it's a very good book. It's about how... You know, America would not be what it was if it was not for Appalachia and, and us Appalachians exploring. And I was lucky enough, I was, I, I'm such a nerd. I drive past these road markers oh, and I stop at these road markers. I've turned into that guy, right? So I stop at these road markers oh, I, I know, I'm that. and I'll read those. And I, I started learning about Lord Dunmore's war all through this region. And I ended up uh, finding all these markers where these forts stood in Southwest Virginia and then my next step is I want to find out where they were in eastern Kentucky because I'm sure I'm sure there were countless of them around there that led to the final battle of Point Pleasant and that but I was I was reading these markers and I'm thinking okay Daniel Boone was standing right here where I'm at like he walked this land right in this general vicinity and just thinking about the 
you know, the history of the Shawnee and the Cherokee and the hunting and the gathering and, and you know, the communities and events, all that happened long before, you know, we even got there right where we're standing. Now, for Knott County, those that are listening um, that may not know where Knott County is, it's kind of adjacent to Letcher County and Pike County. So um, as the crow flies, how far away are you from Pikeville, for example? Um, about 45 miles uh, from Pikeville, from Pike County, uh, probably around 25 miles. Okay. Just to the border. We um, touch uh, Perry County, which is ha- has hazard in it. Letcher County, which has Wattsburg. Is it's, I'm just naming the mm-hmm. bigger cities. There's Isom and Whitesburg in Letcher County. Um, and we also touch Breathitt County. Um, we touch uh, Floyd County. Yeah, there's six or seven of them you're right up yeah. against. And, and I'm I'm just going to show you. I don't know where you, it's, it's a podcast, but you can't really see. Um, this is a, a, a bracelet that I designed. And it says we are not alone. And, and the county is not. Yeah. And it's the county. Right. Yeah. And so I I actually made a writing project um, called We Are Not Alone. And it it's a, I love it more than anything. It it, uh, it it started with blank notebooks, absolutely nothing in them, and I just started giving them to people and say, Have you ever gone through anything uh, really, really tough? Or is there anybody in your life that's been super influential? Or just tell me about you. Or tell me about us. And they wrote, and then they weren't allowed to put their name in it. So then I said, well, just let me have them, you know, write and give them back. Write and give them back. So I had 30 notebooks. And I have actually in my classroom right here, I, I wish I could show you, but I can send you pictures later. I have a map of Knott County. The 911, all of the whole everything. And so instead of people putting their name on their story, we just take these little flags and we just find their heel or their holler and they dot, they stick it in there. So you should, like, this. the stories here are, they started with one or two that I collected and have grown so exponentially across this map. And it, it it's helped me so much because it helped me see where, I was in the whole county as compared to, you know what I mean, geographically. It's taught geography without, I don't know how to teach geography, but this little project has. Because kids just think, okay, I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to drive to Austin, which is in Letcher County. But they don't realize exactly, you know, they know the turns and stuff from the road. But to look at it, to say, oh, you got, well, I'm really driving close to there. You know, um, it's been fabulous, and it's been a great outlet for kids to tell stories just like this, and also for kids to go and sit down with people and say, tell me your story. It has been a transformation uh, that I've seen of, of young and old and somewhere in between coming together and sharing what Appalachia is and used to be. And, you know, Knott County um, is certainly rich with its own history. Uh, it am I mistaken? Is is the Heinemann School in Knott County? Uh, the Heinemann Settlement School right. is here. Okay. And then we have, uh, we had Heinemann High School, and then we had we have Heinemann Elementary. 
we have four elementary schools and two hospitals. Yeah, so, uh, and it's not a very big county, um, I guess population-wise. But it's a lot bigger than you you realize, especially, like I said, when you, you know, look at it like we have on our map. In comparison to Pike and Floyd, it's not so big, you know, but it, it holds its own with the others around it. Yeah, and it's, and, uh, you know, every, every county has... From town to town, county to county, there's so many stories and rich history. And like you mentioned at the beginning of the of the of their discussion, so much of that is being lost. And hopefully, we can you know stories like yours. Hopefully, more people get interested in writing and sharing those stories from bygone years. That you know, like you know, with the way things are changing economically, and especially in Central Appalachia, and you see where school systems have to merge. And, you know, you drive by one of those old schools, and you're being a teacher, and, and my sister's a school teacher as well, and I, and she says this, she'll drive by and see a school that's closed down and abandoned, and she, she kind of gets a little sentimental. It's like all those stories, those kids that graduated and teachers, yeah. all those stories are lost, you know, and yes. small towns will end up getting swallowed up by their counties. Because of, yes. you know, economics, you know, and lack of jobs and opportunity. And it's so great to hear that you went and got your degree and came right back to Knott County, you know, where I you say is home and where you belong. Because so I many people to. leave. Yeah, that yeah. you know, there's such a brain drain. And, you know, that's one thing our, our young people need to understand. Um, there may not be opportunities here like you would go find where you can go find a job in like Louisville or Lexington or wherever. But there's plenty of opportunity around to create your own future. And if, you know, if that it's a mindset that young people need to have, you know, it destiny is, is what we make it. Know, yes. And I, I'm, I, you know, since you brought it up earlier, I, I just realized what made me come back here was probably my Scots-Irish ancestry in the fact that we're stubborn and we want to take care of our own. And I, um, I just, my, you know, my dad was a Conley. Uh, which, you know, comes straight out of Ireland, the, the O'Connells. Um, so when I when I got my degree, I said, I really want to teach people right where I came from because I want them to be better. I, if I'm going to put my efforts into anything, I want to make it to, for my people, mm-hmm. for my future, for my, you know. And I know that's a bit selfish, but then again, um, I'm so glad I did it because it gave me a, a direction. It just brought me right back. <laughs> yeah. It gave me a direction and a, a point to to definitely call home for, you know, when I travel. I've, I've done some traveling and I love it. And the more I travel, you know, the more I realize we are amazing. Eastern Kentucky, West Virginia, the whole Appalachian area amazing yeah and like i tell my students i'm like you guys west virginia is the only state that is completely appalachian it's the only state that is all the other states have sections of it that are appalachian yeah you know consider with appalachian but west virginia that's the that's the core of it and we're so close geographically to it yeah and here in central appalachia we're we're kind of the heart and soul, you know, southern West Virginia, sure. southwest yeah. Virginia, eastern Kentucky, you know, and maybe northeast Tennessee. Yes. You know, that's yes. that is such a, a heart and soul of this this whole region. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you said, um, my mother went on a trip, drove cross country with a friend of hers and comes back. Wow. 
And, uh, you know, she went and drove through California, Oregon, Utah, Texas, yeah, all the, you know, and comes back and said, this is the most beautiful place she's seen. Because it, it really is. It really is. Yeah, now, it is very beautiful. No, when I initially. It's more beautiful. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was. I just wanted to add. Our, our language is beautiful. Uh, you know, I I just love to to hear the old phrases, and I grew up listening to the old phrases, and so I remember one of the worst uh, scoldings and whippings I got when I came home one time. I was correcting my grandma, my granny, um, for saying winter after after I had started school. So when I was in school, evidently I said winter, and I got corrected. <laughs> and I came home, and I was correcting my grandma, and I, I distinctly remember hearing. She says it the way she wants to say it. That's her way. And I thought, her way's right. And so I knew, but I, but I learned at an early age, we have a unique way of speaking, but we can't be embarrassed about that. You no. use it where you want to and where you, you know, where you, you don't feel comfortable using it. You know, you just got to learn to adapt. Yeah. And when you, when you're from here and you move outside of the region, that's the first thing people say. Now, when I first, oh, when I first moved good. to Cincinnati, people recognize the accent. Do you guys have colleges back there? Do you, do you guys, you know, I'm, I'm like sitting there thinking, yeah, we, we have dental hygiene too. You know, I mean, it was like those yeah. types of stereotypes and I really, really hated it. But, um, you know, I mean, and, but I'm the kind of person that can get along really anywhere. But I'll tell young people here, and I've, I've had an opportunity with, with my job that I do, that I've uh, got to talk with a few young high schoolers and like a mentor program to, to remind them and let them know that um, you always hear this phrase, like, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. That is absolutely not true. If you can make it in Appalachia, you can make it anywhere because you because you know it's nothing comes easy in Appalachia. Not funding for businesses, anything like that, and that's one reason why I left my nice corporate job in Cincinnati and moved back here to start a business because I wanted to bring that expertise and things back here to to you know to help people with all the stuff that I'd learned that you know right here in little our little neck of the woods. It takes people a long time to learn those things, and I jumped into the fire and learned them the hard way. And so I, you know, I'd come back because nothing nothing easy comes from here, but everything worthwhile comes out Absolutely. of all this stuff right here. And yes. uh, so, um, you know, young people, don't, don't be afraid to fail, and definitely don't be afraid to succeed, because unfortunately right. people are a little bit of both in Appalachia, and um, especially when it comes to starting a business. Um so, uh, yeah. but don't be afraid of it. So much opportunity yeah. here. Just, just look around and see all the opportunity we have to be who we are and promote our culture. And writing a book is such a great thing because our artists and our writers, you're the ones who define what our culture is and who our people are. And that is absolutely commendable. Do you belong to any kind of a local writers group or guild that uh, people should know about around there? Um, well, I just kind of jumped uh, into this. And so I'm kind of like, man, new. Uh, I'm I'm looking to join up with anything. I know the Hyman Settlement School is here, and they have the Summer Writers Program and the visiting uh, authors. Silas House has come. 
Um, That's right. Silas House is out there. I forgot about Silas yeah, House. Yeah, I think he's at Berea, though, uh, actually in residency. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've never met him. That's one of my goals is to meet Silas House. Um, but um, I'm not really a member of any of it yet because I'm, I'm just new. Uh, but I want to. I want to learn. I want, you know, and I read as much Appalachian literature as I can. Tom can sit, you know, with Tom, uh, all that with teaching. Um, but I just, I really, uh, you know, Verna May Sloan really inspired me. She's uh, actually graduated high school with my grandfather right here at Heinemann High School. Um, and um, James Steele, of course, totally influ- has been an influence on me. Um, I don't want to leave anybody out because I'm kind of depressed <laughs> right now. And there are so um, many uh, Appalachian yeah. writers that people have never heard of that are not famous. But, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough that I've interviewed, uh, periodically I'll interview members of the Appalachian Authors Guild. And oh, some of them, love- uh, some of them like Linda Hoagland has written, what, over 30 books or something, just enormous amounts of, of stories that are very touching and personal. Adelie Davis. Uh, just, just so many of them, and I, I, they're not not going to leave anybody out. But you know, right. anybody can check out their website, AppalachianAuthors.org, and find all the people. Every, but, but there are so many, like I said, that just help define who we are. And they never get the media praise, but they, they're nonetheless, you know, they're very important to to what we are culturally. And so, what's next for you? You had a second book you wrote, is that right? After We'll leave you in the garden. Uh, I do have a second one. It's called <laughs> Little Evie and the Box Supper. And a lot of people don't know uh, what a box supper is. I, I would not have known had I not grew up hearing about one. I never really went to, per se, what you what you would consider a box supper. Um, but I, I saw, saw one, I guess we'll say. Um, when I watched the movie uh, Coal Miner's Daughter, yeah. and it's the scene where Loretta has gone and baked the pie and put the salt in it instead of the sugar and all that. And so when I watched that one for the first time as a young person, my grandma, believe it or not, I took her to the, the old, old drive-in, and we watched that movie. And she said, oh, it's a box supper. And I thought... Well, I don't know what it is, but I like it. You know, I, I wasn't driving, obviously. I was a little too young, but we, several of us went. And I heard that word box supper, and it just stuck with me. And all my life I was thinking, is there ever going to be a box supper around here? And I never really got to experience one. But she told me that's how a lot of them met their uh, significant others and their best friends. And it was like a rite of passage almost. To get old enough to go to a box supper, uh, you know, with older brothers and sisters. Yeah. So um, this this little story is um, it's it's I like it better than the first because it's more exciting <laughs> and there's music um, and all that in it and I I like it a lot. But for future, I'm just gonna keep on. I got the next one in my head um, that I want to do and and. The thing I want to do with these is not necessarily um, just do them for like a, a showcase. I just want to do them to teach people our culture. Like the one coming up in my head is Little Evie at the Quilting Bee. 
because uh, she used to go, and I have been to one of those, um, where, you know, several of the ladies would get together, no men folk, really, and they would set up the big quilting frames, and they would quilt for, you know, weeks at a time, you know, meet up certain days a week, or sometimes they do it within one week. And um, there was a lot more gossip than there was quilting sometimes. That's awesome. And, uh, and I, I learned, like, when I was little, I went to a quilting bin, didn't know it was. All all I knew was I was going to have a dinner and make some quilts. And I was small enough that I could lay underneath the quilt frame, and I watched the the threads up and down from the bottom and it looked like almost just like painting like a, a big paintbrush is going and making this beautiful tapestry and I had really no idea what it was going to look like until I got up and popped around and saw the top and it was a I loved it to be able to see that see it from the inside I realized now that that I got to see a lot of African from the inside and nobody told me that's what was happening and I'm so thankful for that that's a great story now where can people find your book at um, I'm on uh, amazon.com it's on Kindle as well um, but I'm going to be setting up for the very first time I've never I've never taken the books anywhere to set up uh, I'm going to be at the Gingerbread Festival this year, which is September 9th through the 11th here in Hanman. Um, I'm also searching for or um, or in pursuit of anywhere that will um, will let me come and just have a book signing. You know, I I would love to spend some time in in these different communities here in Appalachia um, and and you know, just talk about our culture and let people have a chance to, to check these books out. Um, I will say, and I'm, I'm not saying it as, as being boastful, I'm saying it because our culture is out there. The, uh, the first book has been uh, purchased in Florida, Car- uh, California, North and South Carolinas, Minnesota, Michigan, Ohio, uh, Texas, I'm trying to think of the other two places, and uh, England. A few people in England have purchased. Oh, that's great. So it's kind of getting around there, and um, I just, that the future is whatever my grandma inspires me, whatever the muse is that comes to me, um, we're, we're telling her stories. Well, that's amazing, and I'm so glad these stories have survived. You're able to share those, and we certainly wish you luck. And uh, come back again sometime, and we'll we'll talk more about Appalachian literature and uh, maybe maybe uh, some book recommendations we think everybody should read in Appalachia. That would be a uh, yeah, that would like be a, great. Yeah, yeah, certainly certainly yeah. would. So there's so many people that need to, you know, especially Appalachian writers need to leg up, you know, because we're not Dean Koontz or Stephen King. We don't have that nope. audience, so. Um, people have to come looking okay. for us. Yeah, you know it's okay. And and like I said, if nobody ever reads this, that's okay. You know, somebody somewhere will eventually, you know, know something about us. It's almost like Horton hears a who on that little speck. We are here. We are here, yeah. and, and we'll be heard. We'll be heard. We are heard. You know. 
Yeah, it's, it's an amazing history and culture we have. Thanks for sharing it. Kathy Connolly, uh, folks, check her out on Amazon.com. It's uh, Little Evie in the Garden and uh, and her follow-up book as well. And don't forget to leave a ranking and a comment on Amazon if you pick up her book. Those always help authors. And uh, like I said, uh, definitely come back sometime. We certainly appreciate you. Thank you so much. I had a great time, and I love Appalachia. Take care.